You're listening to episode 168 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And we're joined by Flo Reynolds. Hi, Flo. Hi, thanks for having me again. Very good to have you back. In fact, you were on last week's podcast talking with Jen Ashworth, which has gone down very well. I was. I absolutely loved that conversation. So I'm really glad that it's out there now and I can listen to it again and again and just revel in Jen's greatness. So... (laughs) On the show today, we have A.E. Warren, author of Subject 21 and The Hidden Base, the first two books in her series of Tomorrow's Ancestors books. This conversation with Amy is really interesting because she's had a long and interesting road to publication, which took in both self-publishing and traditional publishing, and she's kind of moved from one into the other. And I talked to her in a lot of detail about why she chose self-publishing in the first place and then how traditional publishing ended up being an option for her in the end as well. We also cover some of the unexpected consequences of writing post-apocalyptic fiction in a time of a real pandemic. It's a really, really interesting conversation. And I think regardless of what type of publishing you're interested in going down, there's going to be some advice in here from Amy that will be relevant and interesting. So we'll get to that conversation in just a moment. But before any of that, Flo, you have some book club news. I do, yes. I'm really excited to announce our um, next book, which we're going to be reading until the end of the year, really. And for the first time in the book club, um, we are going to be reading a children's book. So we are a book club of grown-ups. We don't always read books that are suitable for children, but... You know, there's nothing wrong with adults reading children's books. I've been really enjoying doing that during the pandemic. And we've got a really, really good one, which is well worth um, being part of a grown-up book club. So, yeah, excited to reveal that we are going to be reading The House of 100 Clocks by A.M. Howell, um, which won the East Anglian Book Awards last year as well, as it happens. Um, It's a really great one. And I'm looking forward to reading something a bit different with the book club. And it's, I think, going to be a really nice, um, heartwarming read to sort of see us through to the end of the year. Fantastic. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about adults reading kids' books, because I've had the pleasure of looking at the entries for this year's East Anglian Book Awards in the children's category. And it's just, it's so joyful reading books intended for young readers. Uh, And they can still be so diverse and so varied in what they're covering and their style and approach and yeah, every every bit is valid for adults to enjoy as, as much as the young readers. And reading outside of your comfort zone is a, a really important part of being a reader and writer, isn't it? So yeah, re- whether it's a YA book or non-fiction book, poetry, something that you don't usually, wouldn't usually pick up off the shelf, sounds like a, sounds like an excellent choice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know about other readers out there. We've you know, I've found it hard to sort of read and write during this time um, with all the lockdowns and everything and still kind of in a bit of a rut with that. But actually reading kids books and YA really kept me feeling creative and during that difficult time as well. So I hope it will be a nice and joyful experience for us as we kind of start to think about, you know, end of the year holidays and what have you as well. So Flo, for anyone who is brand new to the book club, how do people get involved? Well, there's lots of different ways, actually. So you can join one of our discussion sessions, which we usually have one of those in person at Dragon Hall, but one of them is online on Zoom as well. 
Um, but if you can't make those, there's also our Discord community where we, we talk about the book and I ask a few questions some of the time. And we also post some of the resources that we create to go with the book club. There'll be some questions, a writing exercise and all sorts of different ways to get involved. Great. That sounds fantastic. And we will put easy links down to all of those in the show notes so that you can just click them to join in. So let's now switch over to my conversation with A.E. Warren. Well, Amy, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. I've been reading Subject 21, which is the first in your series and thoroughly enjoying it. And something I really wanted to talk about with you is your kind of path to being published, because I think a lot of our listeners will find it really interesting and your particular route has kind of encompassed self-publishing and traditional publishing, which is quite unusual. But kind of rewinding a little bit, I know you worked as a lawyer for a good while. And I was wondering, before you went down that career path, had you ever had kind of ambitions to be a writer? Um, No, I hadn't. I think I'm quite unusual (laughs) in that sense. But I hadn't actually, obviously, I read a lot. I've always read a lot, but I'd never actually aspired to be an author because I didn't think it was something that was attainable, really. Um, So it had never even crossed my mind. It wasn't until my early 30s I actually began writing. So, yeah, it was very much that you know, the, the lawyer career is is what seemed like the way to go. Yeah, and then was yeah. it while you were working in that job that yeah. writing started to appeal? Exactly. Um, I had an idea for a book that just wouldn't leave me, but I'd never written anything before, not even a short story. I hadn't written any fiction at all. So I just started writing. I started with a scene. I rewrote that scene about 30 times and I carried on progressing and moving through. I read a few books on writing, but I hadn't done any courses or anything. And I just carried on writing, wrote the book, revised the book multiple times. And then I was left with a book and not knowing what to do with it. Had you always been a a reader and a reader of this kind of genre? I'd always been an avid reader um, and I read quite broadly. I was introduced to the classics quite young by my mum because she was an English literature teacher. So I read those when I was a t- early teenager and I sort of expanded from there and found things that I enjoyed. I found, you know, obviously I enjoyed science fiction. I enjoyed fantasy. But I've always said I've been a broad reader. Yeah. And as you were writing this book that was kind of in your brain and had to come out, yeah. did you have any particular kind of expectations of what you were going to do with it? When it was done? I had absolutely no idea what to do with it. What I did, first of all, was I sent it to a few friends and asked them to read it. Obviously, I sent it to my mum as well (laughs) for her input. That's the standard thing everyone has to do. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so I sent it out to a few people that I trusted their opinion. That I knew that they wouldn't just say it was great for the sake of saying it was to appease me. Um, so I sent it out to them, asked them what they thought about it, revised it again. And then um, I found an editor through one of my mum's friends who had published a book. And she'd gone down the small press route and she knew an editor through that. So I sent it to them and asked them to look at it and tell me what they thought. Um, but she was the only person that I knew in that arena at all. Um, so I sent it out to him and he he came back to me and he'd edited it and he 
was positive about it, which was the first piece of unbiased review that I'd had. So I thought I had to do something with it, but I just didn't even know where to start. It's, it's funny because having not had a background in writing, you you clearly kind of went quite heavy into the editing process. So, you know, you did lots of revisions yourself and you yeah. got these outside opinions and you found an editor to work on it. So, and I think, you know, when a lot of writers, when they just start out, uh, the the writing is the obvious bit and you know the revising and the the edits down the line is is not something that always comes naturally because you have the excitement of the writing then you have the finished manuscript and it's like i wrote a book uh yeah <laughs> whereas yeah you, you you clearly from the start had an interest in you know making this thing as good as it could be i think i have quite high standards for myself and i think i have um I'm I'm quite critical of what I do as well, and I have a fear of wasting people's time. <laughs> so I didn't want to send out something that I didn't think was to the best of my ability. So I got a lot of feedback on it from people that I trusted, and I had this editor look at it as well, because I I just wanted to make sure it was as as good as I could produce, basically. <laughs> and then. At some point, you started investigating self-publishing. I actually started off investigating traditional publishing because right. I, <laughs> a complete newbie to the writing world, I didn't even really know about self-publishing at all. Um, I, I, I've never really used social media, so I didn't know about the wonderful writing communities that there are out there on Twitter and Instagram and other platforms. So this hadn't even occurred to me. So I thought, well, people who write a book, then they try and get a publisher. So I bought, I, I sent off the first chapter, the first 5,000 words to about 12 or 14 agents. And I got back a few e polite emails saying, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> so then I had to decide what to do next with it. And that's when I started investigating self-publishing. Yeah, so so you've you've gone a bit of a, a kind of full circle eventually yeah. to get back yeah. to to traditional publishing, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, so you know, just as you started writing, having not had any writing background, you were then faced with figuring out self publishing, which is its whole own maze of stuff. So how did you go about that? Um, Google was my friend. <laughs> Google was the way that I found out about self-publishing, although the majority of articles out there are actually written for people who are based in the US rather than the UK. So I had to, I found, I actually found a couple of self-published authors in the UK who I avidly followed, who sort of explained the process for people in the UK rather than the US. And then you have all the decisions to make with self-publishing. Do you do a hybrid version? Do you go for Amazon? Do you go Amazon exclusive? You have all these decisions to make. I didn't know anyone else um, who did this at all or had done it. And again, I hadn't discovered social media. So I was sort of flapping around mm -hmm. by myself. But it was an enjoyable process. It's like anything, you know, it's always good to learn about new things. So yeah, um, I, I basically spent a lot of time researching and learning from my what would become my peers. So um, there's a wealth of information out there and, and by people who have tried and tested every possible outcome stand on the shoulders of giants I suppose <laughs> there's no need to start from the beginning yourself yeah. learn from others yeah so when was this what, what what year are we in here 
We are in 2017 here. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and you know, we'll get to Del Rey in a minute, and because your books yeah. came out July this year. Yeah. Yeah. Traditional publisher. So this was several years prior to that. Um, yeah. And this was Subject Twenty One. Yes, this was Subject Twenty One, but at the time it was called the Museum of Second Chances. Um, so all the titles were changed. So. Uh, yeah, it came out as the Museum of Second Chances. So in 2017, I got it edited by the editor that I'd mentioned, sent it out to my friends. I'd had 12, um, I suppose, rejections because they hadn't really responded. Um, and I'd also read that you can't keep on sending the same pieces to the same people. It made me look at the work again with fresh eyes which I suppose is all the, always the struggle with writing, is that you need to be able to look at it as a new reader would look at it, even though you've read it 70 times before. So yeah. I looked at it again with fresh eyes and I cut the entirety of the first chapter. It is now gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where Subject 21 starts now, um, that, was, um, that was actually the second chapter. So I cut the entire 5,000 words that I sent out to the editors, but I didn't feel that I could resend the revised version to them because I read that that was bad form, basically, and you, you might get struck off <laughs> for continuing to resend the <laughs> same piece of work to the same people. And there's actually quite a limited amount. I don't know whether you found this as well. There's quite a limited amount of editors who actually, uh, agents who actually look at science fiction. Um, quite a lot of agents say, oh, you know, obviously they have their niche and then they will specifically say no science fiction, no fantasy. <laughs> and um, so there's not that many agents who actually um, deal with that type of work. Yeah, no, genre is tricky, isn't it? Because on yeah. the one hand, it can be really useful for finding readers. But yeah. at the same time, in, yeah, in terms of agents and publishers, it does kind of potentially limit you uh, yeah. unless you can find someone... Uh, or an organization that really specializes in it and then of course mm. you're you're kind of off so so the book had come out you'd self-published it um I self-published it in 2018 so I right. self-published it in February 2018 um I was determined to publish it just before my birthday <laughs> um so I, I sort of rushed it all through and published it in 2018. I went down the Amazon route. I went wide as well. So I put it on Apple and Kobo as well. I did ebook and paperback. Um, and then my book was out in the world and I faced the problem of marketing, which, <laughs> which you've, you've done all this work. You put your book out there. Um, and then you have to try and get people interested in it. And that's when I actually joined things like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I realized how many other self-published authors there are out there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, the, the, the kind of practical realities of self-publishing a book, like it is so easy these days compared to, you know, a decade ago or longer. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of details, but essentially anyone can upload the EPUB file, hit a button and off you go, but doing it to a professional level and then letting people actually know about it. I feel like uh, once the book exists in that form, that's when it gets really difficult. Exactly. Yeah. But it's become much easier in the last 10 years to um, upload a book and publish it and to do it for a relatively 
little money, perhaps even free if you want to as well. It's not um it's not something that's necessarily out of everyone's reach. It is something that you can put up there. Um, but the issue is the marketing because there's so many more self-published books now, particularly on Amazon as well. There isn't these stories of maybe in 2011, 2012, where and even earlier, where someone would put up a book, <laughs> forget about it, check it again in two weeks' time, and they'd sold 50,000 copies. I don't think that happens anymore. Um, <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's, there's too many, there's too much competition now, and I don't think Amazon's algorithms latch on to those new books like they used to. Um, so, yeah, you have to do the marketing. So that was what I was facing in 2018. Yes. So how did you how did you find that whole process? Quite distressing at the beginning because <laughs> I'm not someone who um, I'm not an, a natural extrovert. I'm not someone who can go on social media and talk about their work a lot. Um, it's not something I'm comfortable with. Uh, so obviously I was on social media and but I didn't you know push it a lot on through that avenue so I started researching different ways that I could try and market my book without being so front-facing so <laughs> and obviously I came across things like the Amazon ads and I tried those for a little bit um you know just a few dollars to just try and work it out try and see how they how they what sort of results they produced um and so it worked okay I was selling a few books but it wasn't the sort of numbers that I think would um you know would lead to me able to <laughs> do it as a full-time thing or even to begin to make a profit from it so um I then looked at Facebook ads and um I'd read a lot on the internet about Facebook ads um for self-publishing that they didn't work very well and I decided to try it for myself. I started with five, ten dollars <laughs> and sort of went from there. And that worked much better. So that started to bring in readers. Yeah, exactly. I think I set some quite sort of strict rules for myself at the beginning of it. Like firstly, I made sure that I had vast Excel spreadsheets that recorded all of the data because I don't think it's something that you can go into unless you're prepared to really monitor how the adverts are doing. Um, you have to be able to be able to pull an advert quite quickly. I think I think it's changed more now that, that you can actually cap a budget more than you used to be able to do back in like 2018. But actually, no, this is this is 2019 that I started doing the Facebook ads. Um, so uh, yeah, so I was doing Facebook ads in 2019. Um, I had to monitor them quite carefully. I had vast Excel spreadsheets and I also had a rule for myself that I wouldn't spend more than I made. So, um, and that's the, the beauty of self-publishing is that you can check through Amazon what your sales are, almost to two to three hours of accuracy. So you can tell what is working. You don't have that access in traditional publishing because obviously it goes through several departments before it filters down to you so yeah yes. yeah so it was Facebook ads that actually helped get my book out there and that was that was really interesting actually to have readers come back to me and give me their thoughts on the books and have that completely that completely 
unbiased review of your work and to see what works, what doesn't work, you know, what perhaps you would change in the future. It was invaluable. Yes, yeah, that that uh, leap that I think any writer makes when you get to that point where suddenly strangers somewhere in the world yeah. <laughs> is encountering exactly. your work. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, so presumably you were working. Yeah, lawyer, I was working this the whole process. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was... I worked full time. Um, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't like some super lawyer or something. I worked in a cubicle, so uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't. I don't want to like. Um, I wasn't like you know in an entourage pacing around London. It wasn't that <laughs> sort of work. But it was you know it was a full time office job. It was you know it had demanded long hours at times. At the time, I was living in Bristol and I was commuting to Cardiff every day. And um, I'd work on the train. I'd fit in the writing in the evenings. I basically cut the entirety of my social life. This is when I was writing the first book, just to fit it in, because it was just something I really wanted to do. It was something as if I'd always dabbled in things, but I'd never actually latched onto something that I thoroughly enjoyed. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a great time for me. Probably not such a great time for my partner, who felt <laughs> completely abandoned. I think, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was something I had to fit in around my other commitments. Yes, yeah, it is difficult uh, to carve out the time, but also, yeah, that 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 point where you you do commit, and you know, it's not something that you're dabbling in, as you say. Yeah, uh, I think to you know to complete a manuscript, let alone edit it and get it out into the world via any form you know that's such a, a massive commitment that you, you can't really do it piecemeal I don't think no not at all it's something that it's something that you have to commit to and it's something that you just have to push forward through I think when I when I was um when I first started writing I went to um sort of a community college um course on writing a novel and that was that was really interesting for me. I met some, you know, I met some other writers there for the first time, and and um, it was it was something that helped me learn about the sort of you know the classic forms of writing. But the first thing the tutor said, and he did it completely with full knowledge of how it would come across. He said, "Full disclosure, I've never actually written a novel." <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> "Oh gosh." <laughs> I thought, wow, okay, so people start novels and they have they have ideas for novels and you know, but they you don't always necessarily finish them. And I think I think you have to push forward with it because once you've actually got to the end, then the revision can happen. I don't think I think sometimes people put too much weight on the original writing process. The revision is just as important if not more important, and everything can change in that as well. I mean, you, you waste a lot of time doing it that way, but it's perfectly feasible to revise it into the book that you want it to be. Inspiration doesn't have to come. Um, you can just, you know, push forward with it. Yeah, the writing a novel is, that, is a sort of weird mix of just like, you know, that, that raw creative ideas phase, but also a very kind of process, more process-led you know, just going through it and and getting the words down and editing it, and which sometimes can feel less creative, I think, yeah. because you're then you know hacking away at the manuscript that exists. But actually, yeah. you need those two things to come together. Exactly, exactly. 
yeah it's it's a dual process it's not just sitting you know on a, an extra lake with a typewriter in front <laughs> of you <laughs> it's not that at all it's 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 a slog really it's hard work but it's beautiful at the same time <laughs> so at some point you uh, after you self-published at some point you did secure an agent and then traditional publishing came back into the picture so how, how did that happen um so after i published my first book and i realized that it wasn't just going to fly off the shelves, <laughs> which I don't think I ever anticipated it would, but I didn't realise how much you had to push your work forward to get it noticed. Um, I did things like I did a couple of book fairs and I just did whatever I could to try and get my hands into my book into the hands of readers. And I sent it out to probably, well, I didn't send it out. I sent inquiry letters to about 100 reviewers, um, people who review uh, predominantly self-published books. Um, and, you know, a few of those came back and said they would read it. You know, I was just trying to build it up that way. And um, I put my I put my book into the hands of anyone who I could get it into the hands of. And it, it managed to filter through to someone who, my husband knew and um, they knew someone who said that potentially this person might be able to help me with marketing and they did non-fiction work and they might be able to not help me with marketing but give me a few pointers and so I passed the book on and I didn't hear anything and I didn't expect to hear anything so during that time I just sort of started trying to do the um, started looking at the Amazon adverts and then I'd moved on to the Facebook adverts. And then one day I just got a call. <laughs> I got a telephone. Well, first of all, I got an email saying, you know, this person wants to speak with you. Can you pass on your telephone number? And I got a call from the person who would eventually become my agent. She had read the book. She wasn't actually someone who specialised in marketing and PR. She was actually an agent and <laughs> no one had actually passed that information on to me. But she worked in the nonfiction realm and she'd read my book. And she she gets sent a lot of books, as you can imagine. She'd read my book. It wasn't her genre at all. She didn't read science fiction books at all. And um, she'd read it, but she'd really enjoyed it. And um she wanted to, you know, have a chat with me, see who I was as a person, I suppose, <laughs> sound me out a bit. And we had a chat and she said at the end of the talk, she was like, you know what, I will, I'll give it a whirl. I'll, I'll see if I can, you know, I'll see if I can interest a publisher with it, a traditional publisher with it. And, um, I think I can remember most of the details of that telephone call because it was all printed in my mind. Um, and she, she, yeah, she said, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. And she doesn't, she said, you know, this is new to me too. I don't work with fictional work. I do nonfiction. So, um, but I'm thinking of potentially expanding. So um, I will, you know, I'll see how it goes. And, that was that really um again I didn't I didn't think anything would come of it because I'm a realist I know that people even I hadn't signed with her as an agent as such it was um she was um she was just sort of testing the water I suppose with it um 
and uh, I I didn't expect anything to come of it and I knew that I had to keep on pushing the self-published route I knew that I had to act as if this conversation had never happened because if I put all my eggs in that one particular basket I would miss opportunities in the self-publishing world so at that stage um, I was just I was just about to publish a second book in the series. So um, I'd, I was preparing to publish a second book. I'd started ramping up and I'd started like with my Facebook ads and I was getting some interest in the second book. I was getting pre-orders for the second book, which is, and they weren't from my friends. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was just gently starting to evolve for me. So um, I just fully concentrated on that and I just sort of put this conversation out of my mind and um, went from there really. And so did that conversation that mm. you then sort of forgot about, did that then come back? Yeah, it came back at a later date. So I published the second book in the series that was in 2019. So I was yeah, actually, I was pregnant as well. <laughs> That's the other thing is I got, I was pregnant and um, I'd, I was about to publish the, the second book and I thought, what would be worse, publishing it when I'm pregnant or publishing it with a newborn? <laughs> <laughs> so I decided, I don't know, I don't know whether other people have experienced this, but when I was pregnant, I couldn't write. I just really struggled to focus on anything. I had to stop writing for about six months. And I just didn't have the capacity to publish a book at the time. So I decided that it would be easier to publish a book with a newborn. <laughs> so <laughs> my daughter was born in March and I published the book in July, the second book in the series. And I started writing the third book in the series in about May. I just I just knew that I knew that the I, I loved this world that I created, of course. All authors love the worlds that they create. And I knew I wanted there to be three or four books in the series. And I knew how important it was to keep the books coming out. I mean, I'd obviously, I wasn't at the stage where I see some self-published authors produce a book a month, but I knew that they had to come at least annually, you know, so <laughs> once, a, once a year, hopefully. And so I started writing the third book in the series. And... Um, I spoke to I spoke to um, the person who was um, helping me, and she. I said, "I've I've finished the third book. Do you think I should release it, or do you think I should hold it?" And she told she advised me to hold it because she said that there might be something it might be something to in you know entice publishers with if there was two books published, but there was still. I decided at that stage I was doing four books in the series and um, she said it might be a bit more enticing to publishers if there's two books published and two books still to come. So I held that book um, for quite some considerable time, <laughs> much to the annoyance of um, a few readers who have been <laughs> like, when's it coming? I've been waiting for ages. <laughs> but, Turning into George R. R. Martin here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a very very supportive way and it was just it was nice that a few people cared enough to know when the book was coming so yeah but, um yeah um so yeah so I, I and I, by this time I'd started actually selling well for what I considered quite a lot of books in the end I sold about 2,000 copies of the first mm -hmm. book and um that was again that was something that she could put to the um publishers to tell them about that and then in 
um, July 2020, <laughs> mid-pandemic. I think we were sort yeah. of calmed down a bit then. Um, but it was still, you know, we were still all reeling from what had happened in the previous months. I got the call saying that Del Rey had read my book and they wanted to offer me a full book deal for it, which was, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I didn't believe it to begin with because it was just so out of the blue. It wasn't even, you know, they're, they're interested. I didn't even know it was with them, I don't think. Um, it wasn't that, you know, they're interested or something. It was just, you know, they've made you this offer. And um, that was, you know, again, another conversation that will stay in my mind forever, I think. So Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was wondering whether having the two books out already, whether that would be kind of useful evidence that there was an audience and that people liked it, um, and also demonstrated that you could, you know, write and finish books, or whether to a publisher that would be a negative thing because the book's already been released and they've kind of lost that that moment of being able to release it and mm. I mean presumably it wasn't any kind of roadblock because obviously they offered you this deal and and published the books but I was kind of what was their what was their kind of attitude towards the fact that you already had the books out they didn't seem initially I'd read a lot that you know it was almost you know if you self-published something then that was it you wouldn't be able to go down the traditional publishing routes with those books unless you, you know, an Andy Weir who's sold 50,000 <laughs> copies or something yeah. in, a, in a few months, you know, like it, I, I, I had, I had envisaged that it would mean that I wouldn't be able to sell those books. Potentially I'd be able to sell an alternative series, but they, they didn't seem, they didn't seem to see it as a problem. Um, obviously I'd sold a few thousand copies, but it wasn't, you know, enough to, you know, say that this is, you know, a huge book that <laughs> people are going to buy. Um, I hadn't sold that many copies, but they didn't seem, they didn't seem um, faced by it at all. It, it didn't seem to be a barrier. I think it would be interesting if you actually had a, you know, a, a editor for a publishing house and find out <laughs> what their actual thoughts are about it, because um, I, they didn't, they didn't seem bothered about it to me. They didn't, you know, they just sort of glossed over it, really. So it wasn't an issue. Yeah, I, I suspect attitudes have changed quite a lot uh, over the last, you know, decade and a half or something. Um, in large part, probably because self-published books are so much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's. I think it's recognised more as a as a completely legitimate way to get a book out into the world, um, and then therefore shouldn't really. You know, it's not a zero-sum game. It's uh, these days you don't have to either be a hundred percent a self-published author or a traditionally published author. You can do a bit of both. Or, you know, choose what makes most sense for any given book. And yeah, I think maybe publishers don't see it as as a block anymore. I think they're they're quite alert to the self-publishing world, and you know, they they've got their eye on what they're doing as well. I think. I think that um, there is this thing that a few authors do straddle both now. They sort of publish some titles, they traditionally publish other titles. Yeah, something that uh, initially confused me before I dug into your actual path through to publication was I was looking at the publishing dates of your books, like I always do when we get people on the podcast, and I noticed that you know your first two books came out at the same time <laughs> uh, this year. <laughs> yeah. Which I was like, how did that happen? That doesn't make any sense. But- <laughs> 
obviously it does make sense because actually both of them had already come out through yeah. their own self-publishing. Was there any ever any kind of thought about staggering the release in a more traditional way, or was it always that because they existed already, it made most sense to get them out into the world at the same time? Um, I obviously it was their decision how to do it, and they they wanted to publish them both at the same time, and I was fully supportive of that decision. You know, I I don't know. I think I <laughs> I when I get into a series, I can hoover up a series, and you know, we just go book after book after book, and perhaps the idea was the second one would be out there, and you know, you could jump straight through to the second one if you wanted to. Um, they're being released quite quickly, so. The third one comes out in February, so there would have been about seven months between the first and the second and the third. And then the fourth one, the publication date hasn't been set yet, but I think it will be sort of like September next year. So in the space of sort of a year and two, three months, then all four of them will be out. So <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, then the third and the fourth one, that's the first time they will have been available. Yes, exactly. Yes. What was the... Um... The process of kind of switching from the the books being out in self published form to then getting to the the Del Rey versions, uh, presumably you had to take the self published ones off sale. Are are the traditionally published versions identical, or did you do further work on them? Um, the so I took the books down from sale once I'd signed the contract. So they they led me through the process. I probably I don't it felt like this wasn't the first time they'd done it they suggested when I should take the books down they were led me through how I should proceed with it, it they were re-edited as a sort of a line edit there wasn't um there wasn't the original edit you know when they you know say oh I think we should introduce another character here or perhaps you should cut all of this chapter or perhaps you should start here or you know there wasn't that thorough edit that you know you do when you first when you first on your first round of editing um so they did a line edit um tidied them up a bit and obviously proofed them uh but there wasn't any massive changes between the first two books and as they were self-published and how they are as traditionally published i think if you'd only read the books once or twice you wouldn't actually notice the difference with the third book which is coming out February, and then the fourth one. Uh, what's the process been like? Has has your writing process changed? I mean, the third book, it sounds like you already had written anyway, uh, but now that you're writing with a publisher for the first time, you know, how does that change your kind of day-to-day writing experience? Um, I, honestly, it's, it's quite similar in the sense that... Um, I've now actually, um, at the moment, I'm always sort of spread between different books. So at the moment on the third book we're doing, I've just got the proof through for the third book. So I'm doing the last read through of that. Um, The fourth book I have written, but I'm resting at the moment and I'm going to revise it myself um shortly they haven't asked for that book yet so I'm not I'm taking as much time as I can get um I actually haven't sent the fourth book out to anyone yet I'm I wondered whether I should change the way that I work but I think that I will stick with my original way of working that I'll send it out to a few friends and of course the mum and get their feedback on it um revise it again I mean I revise I don't know whether I don't I don't know whether I'm unusual in the amount of times that I revise a book but 
I can honestly say each one of the books that I've read them a hundred times minimum. And I re- every time I re- read them, I revise them. I mean, that, mean, that can just be a tweak. That can be like me, me removing the or something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, they, they, I'm constantly, maybe I have a critical eye, I don't know, but I'm constantly revising them. And um, the fourth book, when I reread it in the next few weeks, I will try and really read it with those fresh eyes as a new reader would read it um and then I will probably I'll probably shift a few chapters um I might change this character a couple of characters that I'm not a hundred percent happy with and so I will pull those around um and then I will send it out to people I know and then eventually send it to Del Rey where it will start with their rounds of publish uh, their rounds of editing so they they do um uh, I think like most traditional publishing houses although I don't know a lot about them they do sort of like three rounds of editing which um they come back to you with so yeah obviously over over the years before you went to Del Rey you kind of accumulated a lot of knowledge and skill about how to self-publish is that something you can imagine yourself going back to uh, in the future with different projects or now that you've kind of broken into traditional publishing is is that where your your current focus is I think that um, I think my approach is to keep all avenues open I think that I will I wouldn't think twice about going back to self-publishing if I decided that was what I needed to do think the you know the world is changing in publishing and you have to decide what works best for whatever type of work it is that you're putting out there so if I think that self-publishing will work best then I will do that um I think um I think I'm very lucky to have this experience of traditional publishing and I definitely want to traditionally publish future novels as well I think it's always best to, you know, see what you come out with and then decide what the best avenue is. That, that was a, a brilliant little journey through how the books came to be. Um, but I'm aware that we haven't really talked about the book itself. <laughs> Looking at Subject 21, uh, I'm only about a third of the way through. So no spoilers, please, because mm-hmm. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. But it has this kind of really fascinating post-apocalyptic setup which uh, from what I've read so far is very much kind of climate crisis based and appears that the world basically fell apart and has now rebuilt itself in in a new society. And what drew you towards those themes and the theme of climate and extinction and all that kind of stuff? Because Mm. it's always been in the news. Lately, it seems to have broken through to a kind of a new level of awareness in terms of mm. how it's reported, how people are talking about it. You know, the fact that it's not referred to as climate change anymore, it's called climate crisis. Um, but you were writing these books back in, what, 2016, 2017? Yeah, yeah. 2016. Yeah, straying into 2015, actually, yeah. Uh, and, and also, you know, you reference a pandemic in the book. And <laughs> the context of, of all this is so different now in the year when the books have come out in traditional form uh, compared to when you were writing it and even compared to when you were self-publishing it but yeah I, I, that's just the question is what drew you to those themes in the first place and how has how has the world itself shifting changed your relationship with your own story well I think I first of all started off by thinking about genetic engineering and in my 20s I was I'd always pondered what would happen if genetic engineering became 
prevalent in future generations. And I decided that I decided that if we did live in a society where people could access genetic engineering, then they would probably end up with those who could access it and those who couldn't. Um, it's the questions that are brought up through the ethics of it. What if you can't afford it? What if you know um, you have a society where some can access it and some can't access it? And if some traits are seen as more desirable than others, does that mean that others um, are seen as more of a negative? It was that sort of world and the ethics of genetic engineering that was the starting point for the book. Um, and then I started beginning to think about how if we set the book in the future, um, what could we do to have this society that is living in quite strict, tight bases? So they, for people who haven't read the book, then there's four bases spread across this land and the population isn't allowed to stray outside of it. And I thought that if there was a pandemic, well, the book isn't a apocalyptic book it's a post-apocalyptic book so it's set quite a long time after a pandemic and the pandemic wipes out 95% of the human species so you have these tightly controlled populations that um, are taught that um, we have been moved into uh, different species so um, it was that was the the basis of it and I thought at the time that you know the climate was affecting as in 2015 you know it was it was something that was prevalent it certainly wasn't something that is talked about as much as it is now but I thought at the time you know we're losing so many species of animals what would happen if we actually started bringing them back should we bring them back <laughs> that's the question that I think about a lot is is it our is it our duty to bring back the species of animals that we have had a hand partly in becoming extinct? And I wanted to explore that in the book as well. So that's the sort of the foundation of the world that I created. Yeah. And in terms of building out that world, did you do a lot of work on, on the world building up front or did the story in the first book happen first and you've kind of built it out as you've gone? What's your approach to that kind of stuff? And my approach is that I always build the world first. So um, I always I always try and think about, I've, I've always been interested in thinking about what's going to happen in the future, simply because I will not know. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will not be here in a hundred years time. So I would love to know how society evolves in the next hundred years. And I like to think about the outcomes, the potential outcomes. And so I started off with the world. So I started off building the world and then out of the world, I picked the story that interested me. So, um, and that's where the protagonist came from. So I start with the world and then I choose a story after that. So certainly at the start of the book, the way you reveal the world is quite, you know, you, you kind of drip feed little details rather than having, you know, a big, big exposition explanation at the start. So it has this kind of intriguing puzzle-like element as you start reading it where as Elise kind of goes through the world you you start to find out about different parts of it in terms of the the kind of stratified society that's been created and and how they're bringing animals back and um you know particularly I suppose with that first book not having written anything before like you were saying you know how how hard was it to figure out how to um kind of reveal the world to readers in a way that felt natural um, I knew that I didn't want to 
do a massive info dump at the beginning of the book. Um, I wanted to gradually reveal it. Um, I chose a third person, quite tight perspective so that we're sort of sitting on the shoulder of our protagonist and we we learn about the world as we follow her around. Um, but also she doesn't understand her world either because there is a lot of misinformation in their world. So throughout the book, you have to try and pick out what is correct and what isn't just as the character does. So you take that journey with her. And as the books evolve into the second, third, fourth, the world opens up for her. She leaves her base. She explores the rest of the world. We bring in other points of view characters so that we can learn more about the world with her. Um, I add one new point of view character to each book. So this second has got two, third, three, fourth, four. So we, it evolves with her and you learn more about it with her. Yeah. Was there any nervousness from the publisher about the fact that a pandemic is you know, prominent in, in the first book and in the setup? Because uh, obviously when you wrote it, it was not as directly relevant to the world I suppose um, mm. whereas all of a sudden now yeah, the context is, is so different was there any concern there or was that not really an issue? Um, it wasn't an issue with this pub- uh, publisher at all as I understand it another publisher turned it down because there was a pandemic in it <laughs> um, they said that it was a bit depressing to be reading about a pandemic in a pandemic so um <laughs> But at the same time, it's not set in a pandemic. And there are a lot of, as you know, in the science fiction genre and the dystopia genre, there's usually one cataclysmic event that has <laughs> either wiped out the population or <laughs> reduced the numbers vastly. And um, quite a lot of books use a pandemic as a as a way of structuring a new society. So and as I've said before, it's not actually, we're not during the throes of a pandemic. It's the aftermath for 100 years later. Yeah, that's interesting because there are some books coming out now that uh, are directly about or referencing the actual current pandemic. Um, mm. And yeah, I find it interesting that, you know, there was a publisher that was a bit too nervous about that because yeah. actually I'm finding, whether it's in stuff I'm reading or television that I'm watching, that the longer you know, a TV show does not acknowledge the fact that we're in a pandemic, the, the more strange it feels almost. Definitely. You know, when you have stories that are depicting lots of people gathering <laughs> together and and you're watching it on television, but the real world is is fundamentally different now. And, you know, yeah, we, I... we may get, hopefully we'll get back to, to, to more like that. But yeah, actually when fiction feels like it's more directly kind of addressing it, that's, it's more interesting, you know, in a way. Yeah. I found that particularly at the end of last year and the beginning of this year that when you were watching TV and people were touching and hugging and they didn't have masks on and <laughs> I was sitting watching it and thinking you shouldn't be that close to each other <laughs> and you sort of forget um, and obviously I'm watching you know fiction I'm not watching you know a, a live event or anything you just like it just your your mind already in only a year has adjusted to Obviously, it's easing now with all the restrictions easing now. But at the time, at the height of the lockdown, you were watching a different world to the one you were occupying. And <laughs> they, the, well, the things you were watching on television didn't reflect is exactly as you said. They didn't reflect what our reality was, what our circumstances were. 
perhaps if we had more books come out about pandemics now we would be able to we would be able to compare our own pandemic to the potential of what could have happened if you know if it had been much worse and maybe we could put it into context I don't know but I think it's as I completely agree I think it's something that has to be entered into our lives now. Well I think people were picking out uh, older movies and older books that that dealt with pandemics and similar uh, which at the time you know were considered 100% fictional uh, whereas mm. all of a sudden they're like oh what can we actually learn from this story that we maybe didn't pay enough attention to the first time around. Yeah, I'd actually read um, a non-fiction book called Spillover by David, uh, I think it's David Quarman. And uh, I read that before the pandemic because obviously I was writing about, um, it's all about basically animal infections and how they jump to humans. And I read that before the pandemic and then I reread it during the pandemic as well. Because <laughs> um, I thought it was, you know, it was quite. It was quite interesting. I think his book has taken off a lot as well during the pandemic. I think a lot of people have been accessing it. Yeah, I bet. Um, but I think I think it's particularly interesting with your books because they've had this kind of double publishing life. Mm. Um, so you actually get to see how a book is received, like the exact same book, but received in you know, a few years apart. But due to the pandemic and the way the world has changed in those years. Uh, suddenly the book's relationship to readers in the real world uh, now, the Delray version, you know, it might be the same book, but actually people picking it up now are going to have a fundamentally different experience than people who read your self-published one a few Mm. years ago. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose it's a, I think we all know that something is going to go wrong (laughs) inevitably. (laughs) And it's whether we can keep up with it, keep abreast of it whether we can change ourselves to accommodate it and work alongside it so it was whether it was going to be you know I don't know a meteor or if it was going to be a a virus that became virulent you know it's it's something is going to happen it's just which one out of the many science fiction novels that we've all read (laughs) which one was going to come to have some truth to it part of me that the science fiction fan in me always thinks that science fiction readers are, are slightly better equipped to deal with really extreme events like this because we've read it in fiction for years i completely agree i think also we're, <laughs> we're more of the prepper nature as well aren't we <laughs> we've read so many books about the immediate aftermath of an apocalyptic event that we'll probably all have a torch and a compass hidden away somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 we've all we've all got that that little kind of ten step plan of what to do in a zombie apocalypse, just in yeah. case. Just in case, <laughs> better safe yeah. than sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're ready for it. So, Amy, what are you working on right now? Presumably, your focus is on the fourth book at the moment. Yeah, the fo- the, the focus is about to shift towards the fourth book um i started read, writing a new series i'm at the tentative beginning stages of a new series and um i've been working on that for the last uh, month or two and then i'm gonna put that to the side and switch back to the fourth book and give that a good good looking at um and start revising that again because i wanted to do it after i'd finished the proof of the third book so i'd go really fresh from the third book into the fourth book so I could read it as a reader would would have read it if they just jumped straight from the third to the fourth um so I wanted to look at it in that way well thanks so much for sharing that really interesting route to what to, to different forms of publishing and kind of that little circular route you took 
from attempting traditional publishing, then going self-publishing, and then cracking traditional publishing in, in such an effective way. Uh, and yeah, first two books are out now, and the next two we can look forward to next year. Thank you for um, asking me to come on and interview me. It's lovely. <laughs> no, no, thanks for sharing so many, so much interesting insight into to how you ended up being published. Thank you. Thank you for listening and many thanks to Amy for joining us on the podcast. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. You can sign up to our newsletter over on the website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and we also have a Facebook page. Please do subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again, keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode.